0: Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Today's topic, the necessity of belief in Jesus as the Christ. How important is it that you understand the identity of Jesus of Nazareth? And not only you understand who he is, but what he came into the world to do why he did it, even how he did it. Now, though we're not going to discuss all of those aspects in this particular broadcast, I want us to focus on this one idea, the idea of Jesus as the Christ. Now, we often refer to Jesus and we speak of him as Jesus Christ, and in so doing, we often have the idea that Christ is like his last name. Now, an informed Christian knows that's not true, but nevertheless, it still comes across that way. And so we may miss so much of the depth that the Bible is putting into this word, Christ, and what it means. So here's the question I want to pose and hopefully begin to answer. And that is, how necessary is it to believe? Is it for you to believe, for me to believe, for anyone to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the Christ is the Greek term for the Hebrew Messiah. So, Messiah and Christ are the same word with the same meaning. Behind those terms is the idea of the anointed one of God. Anointed. Now, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the act of consecration that was employed in the Old Covenant in setting aside certain people for tasks that God gave them, special tasks in the nation or in the people group. You have the prophet, the anointed prophet, spoken about in Deuteronomy 18. Now Moses is the great prophet of the old covenant, but he promises that God is sending another prophet like unto him, and when that prophet comes in Deuteronomy 18, this prophet will have the very words of God, and that you are responsible to believe those words because it is God himself who speaks to you. That's a prophecy about the coming of Jesus But even further back, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, when mankind first fell, and God makes his appearance in the Garden of Eden after the transgression of Adam, in pronouncing the curses upon the serpent, whom we identify as Satan or the devil, Jesus promised, I mean, God promises that a promised seed from Eve will come, who will crush the head of the serpent, though the serpent would bruise his heel in that transaction. So that's the first promised seed. But later you have a promised seed in the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And God tells him that a seed will come from him, from he and Sarah. Now the first seed that he's talking about is the son of promise, Isaac. But even Isaac... For shadows the great seed of Abraham, the ultimate seed of Abraham, which is Jesus Christ Himself, spoken of in Galatians. Then we have Moses, which you've already mentioned in Deuteronomy eighteen. He, he was the great prophet of the old covenant, but he speaks about a prophet that will come. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about this prophet with reference to the new covenant, this king. Prophet, and that comes to our last one David. God makes the promise to David of a seed from David. That seed will be the king, the king of the kingdom of God. Now, all of these Old Testament promises are wrapped up in this term Messiah. So, the anointed promised seed of God's covenant promises is what is being brought to fruition in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that so crucial? Well, because we need a prophet to tell us the truth about God and to tell us how we can know God, how we can be connected to God. We need a prophet that speaks the very revelation of the heart and mind, and nature of the Almighty God. That prophet has come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. We are in great need of more than that. We need a priest. Now, I haven't spoken of that. But we need a priest. God did appoint priest, a high priest, and then a series of priests in the Old Covenant along with the laws of sacrifices by which the holy God can be approached by sinful men, sinful people. That was all a temporary provision, but it pointed forward to the promised one, the one who would make the ultimate sacrifice. And we learn from the life of Christ and the letters of Paul and Peter in the New Testament that that transaction was done on the cross of Calvary. A Jesus of Nazareth himself. He is the promised seed. He is the anointed promised seed. He is the Messiah of God. He is the Christ. Now, my question is, how necessary is it to believe this about him? How necessary is it for you to believe in him as this Messiah, as the Christ? Now, how important this is, is brought out to us in how Jesus elicited the confession of who he is from his apostles, his 12 special disciples that accompanied him during the three years or more of his active ministry in Palestine of old. Uh, The first instance of this, I'm speaking of it in a sort of a chronological way with reference to the gospel narratives, If Mark is the first gospel narrative, which we usually think that to be the case, though it could be Matthew, but Mark and Matthew are very similar, but each one of the four gospel narrative writers testify that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And in each one of those accounts, it's brought out. Now, three of the accounts are talking about the same incident, but there's three different accounts given. First, in Mark. Mark chapter 8, where Jesus takes his disciples to the area of the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he inquires of his disciples, what's the popular opinion of me? What do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? And so they told him, well, somebody, you're John the Baptist, uh, risen from the dead. Others say that you're Elijah, the one promised in Malachi or others say that you're, you're one of the prophets. You're like a prophet. You're one of the great prophets. Maybe the prophet. But he asked him, but who do you say that I am? Now that question, those responses and that question is asked in Mark, in Matthew, in Luke. They're all referring to the same incident. There's slight variation in the recording of the answer. Mark is the shortest. Peter says, you are the Christ. But Matthew gives us the longer rendition. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, speaking for them all, replied, you are the Christ, that is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Luke, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, there's no contradiction in any of those. There's simply a little more of the statement that was made. And remember, these are Mark, who's giving us Peter's uh, probably memoir when he was preaching. He might refer to this incident. Uh, Matthew is there, who actually heard these words himself. And Luke, who's giving a recording of the testimony that he has compiled as a historian. So if we take Matthew, that has the fullest statement, we're on very safe ground. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. That's the Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. You are the Messiah, which means you are the anointed, promised one from God. Now he identifies who that is, the Son of God of the living God. Now let me add John's testimony to this. This is a different incident. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, we have the great incident of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men, plus the women and children, that had followed him to this remote location where he had preached to them. And he had preached to them all day and at the end, they're weary. Maybe it's even more than one day. But he asks his disciples about food. And we know there's a whole story connected to that. But the, the bottom line is this, that Jesus feeds them by the multiplication of some small fish and little biscuits of bread that's given to him. And he says a prayer of thanksgiving. And he begins to hand the fish and the biscuits to his disciples to distribute to the people. As he hands one, another appears. It's a tremendous miracle, one of the greatest miracles recorded about Jesus, in which he fed the multitudes. And it's following this that Jesus makes on the next day or days, he makes the statements, very hard statements, John records to us, about Jesus talked about how important, how absolutely necessary it was for people to believe in him, in his very person, in his very being as the way to God. It is as necessary as the food that we eat and the water that we drink. And he used the words to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and to drink his blood. Startling word. And those words certainly were meant to draw attention and they're meant to really talk about how necessary it is that we, by faith, imbibe Christ through a personal apprehension of him, a personal throwing of ourselves in all that we are upon him, upon his person, upon what he does for sinners such as we. At the end, people say, oh, this is too hard. This saying is too difficult. And so many of those disciples, that is the people that were flocking to hear him and were demanding more miracles, do more for us, Jesus, when he talked about how necessary it was to believe in him, in his very actions for their salvation, that they walked away from him. And Jesus, he turns to the 12. And he asked him the question, will you also go away? And Peter, again speaking for all of them, said this, how can we do that, Lord? There's no one else we can go to because we have believed And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, we take these four narrative accounts, these two incidences where confession of faith is elicited from the disciples, what we learn about the identity of Jesus and what it means to believe in him. But we learn that he is the Christ. We learn that he's the Messiah. That he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Given in the covenants of old. As Paul will later write in one of his letters to the Corinthians. Jesus Christ is God's yes. He is God's answer. Yes and amen. To all the promises he has made. He fulfills the law he is the appointed king of the kingdom of God he is the prophet who bears the very truth of God in the words that he speak in the deeds that he do in fact in his very being he is the word made flesh we understand that he not only comes from God, but he has this unique relationship with God. He is called the son of the living God. Now, to get the great depths of this, you have to go back to John chapter 1. 1, 1, 114 and one eighteen. The word who was with God and the word who was God became flesh. He became incarnate. And this word comes from the very heart, the very side of the Father. For he has dwelt in all eternity in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known because he is one with him and he comes from him. And that's what's included in this great statement of Peter's. We've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now this is Jesus eliciting confession of who he is from his disciples that were around him. Now is this what Jesus thought about himself? Yes. For Jesus makes some self-confessions about his very being as well we're going to discuss those in another podcast. But I want you to understand this, that Jesus also said in the Gospel of John, when some of the Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees, who were in many ways his opponents and were against him because they didn't like his concept of the Christ of God, he told them, These very words, that unless you believe in me, you will perish in your sins. That's Jesus' statement himself, his own proclamation. Unless you believe in me, you will perish in your sins. Now the Apostle Peter echoes this in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than this name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you can know God. Believe in him and you can live for the glory of God. Believe in him and have grace, peace, and mercy now and forever. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. The next time, remember who Jesus is. He is the Christ of God, the Messiah, the Savior of those who believe in him.